This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, we'll be joined by Alan Langdon, President and CEO of Returnit. Alan is back with us today to talk about Waste Reduction Week in Canada, which begins on Monday. In our second hour today, John Carlson has a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. While vehicle sales may be booming across Canada, so are vehicle break-ins, especially here. This from Vancouver Police this week as they rattled off some pretty startling stats. Let's begin with the raw math. Vehicle break-ins are up in the first nine months of the year by a whopping 99% to over 12,300, and that's an average of over 40 break-ins a day. They happen all over town, but the cops say the vast majority are downtown, and most of those are done by drug users looking for easy money for their next fix. So, what to do? The big question we've been asking for decades. VPD from the Chief right down to the cop on the beat are asking for a new approach to drug users and their treatment, some of which includes legalizing some currently banned drugs, as is done in countries like Portugal. Vancouver Police reported all this to the police board this week, and we will continue to follow the story as it develops. Now, here's a story our first guest today will have something to say about because we're talking food waste and textile recycling with this item from Montreal, where City Council has passed a resolution to forbid bid all grocery store chains and other stores from throwing out edible food and useful clothing as part of its five-year waste reduction plan. It's all about cutting waste at the source as much as reducing landfills. A public consultation will be held, but the city wants to divert up to 75% of residual waste away from landfills by 2025 and up that to 85% by 2030. According to Toronto's Second Harvest, who ordered have studied on food waste earlier this year, one one-third of Canada's food waste could be recovered. Organizations like SPUD here in Vancouver have been working on this for years. Montreal will also move to ban clothing and textile companies from throwing out unsold clothes and instead encourage them to give unsold products to the community organizations or introduce them into the circular economy so they can be reused. Lots more on the circular economy coming up in a few moments. And about a month ago, we quoted the forecast for this coming winter as delivered by the old farmer's almanac. It wasn't particularly great news, colder than normal conditions, above normal participations, uh, but below normal snowfall. Sounds like a pretty typical Vancouver winter so far. Well, this week, the AccuWeather team jumped in with their outlook for this winter, and they surprised more than a few of us by saying that, with the exception of northwestern B.C., a rather mild winter is expected. They go on to add Victoria, Vancouver, Kamloops, and even Prince George should be drier and sunnier than usual. As to the rest of Canada, eh, not so great, especially in the power triangle of Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, where winter this year will be snowy and stormy. Couldn't happen to a nicer group of folks. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll have lots more for you as the show goes along. Coming right up after the break... Alan Langdon to talk about Waste Reduction Week in Canada. 
Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. This Saturday afternoon, I'm Sterling Fox, and joining me in studio again, it's been a while, but it's a pleasure to welcome back Alan Langdon, President and CEO of Return It. Alan, good to see you again. Good to see you, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it was at the beginning of the summer when you and I last had a chance to sit it down was, here yeah, and absolutely. bash around a few ideas. And at that time, we'll talk about Waste Reduction Week in a second, but at the time of our last visit, Alan, it was really all about the experience express program that Return It was just introducing to BC at that time. So you've had the summer of 2019 to let the uh, express program establish. Tell us how it's been. Yeah, so the first few months have been great. Uh, we've now got our subscribers up to over 50,000. Uh, so we're, you know, somewhere around 20,000 when we started the summer. We now have Express in 58 locations across the Lower Mainland and in parts of the Okanagan as well, hoping to get to Vancouver Island, at least the northern part of Vancouver Island, before the end of the year. Okay. And the feedback from consumers has been great. Um, you know, 95% customer satisfaction with the service, 90% would recommend it to friends and family, 25%, uh, 20% of the people uh, hadn't who used it hadn't been to a depot in the last six months, and sure. 7.5% of the people who used it had never been to a depot. Right, right. And really what we've been trying to do with this is really grow the pie. We've, we've always had a dedicated group of, of consumers and residents that are recycling. We're trying to get more people involved in recycling, and we figure the way to do that is make it more convenient. So let's, for the benefit of those who are listening to us and hearing about this, and I know yep. it's hard to believe because you've been on this thing for a lot of time, Alan, but yep. for the benefit of some of those listening who may not yet understand what the express program is please tell them yeah so express is really just a new way to recycle so people go onto our website uh, register put um create an account uh, once they've created an account they can bring their containers to the depot in a bag um, when they get to the depot they just um, print a label there's a little kiosk there put the label on the bag and then drop and go um, they'll get an email within 48 hours notifying them that their refund has been uploaded to their online account and when there's more than $10 there they can hit redeem and we'll send them um, their money through an email money transfer uh, the one thing I should note is that before you go to the depot while we have most of our depots not all of our depots are involved in the program so right. probably at 90-95% so it's always good just to make sure that the depot you're going to is an express depot, uh, so you don't have any disappointment when you get to the depot. But the object of the exercise was to make it impossibly easy, right? Correct. You, you, you put all your stuff in a bag. You don't have to do that thing where you pull them out and sort the cans and the glass things. You don't have to do any of that. Just put them in a big bag, put your name on the label, slap the label on the bag, and walk away. That's yeah, it. And that's really, and that's totally, and it's, it's you know, there's two things. One, we want to make it more convenient for our existing customers. Sure. More and more of our customers are pressed for time. They've got multiple obligations when they do have free time. And so making it as quick and easy as possible is definitely a focus. On the other hand, we're also focused on millennials are a, an up-and-coming group that we need to um, get integrated into the system. And we know they, as a cohort, prize convenience over everything. Sure. And, you know, we don't view that as a negative thing. It's, we're not bashing millennials. It's just a fact of life. We've got to adjust our system to meet the changing needs and expectations of our consumers. And, and clearly, to clearly you are. Your strategy is working if you're so. able to identify a certain percentage of people now participating who would not have otherwise gone to a depot full stop. Yeah. So that's uh, that's progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over time we're going to see more and more. We're at 50,000 subscribers now and we'd like to be over 100,000 as soon as possible and, and who knows from there. 
any bugs uh, that sort of presented themselves as you were establishing this new system with considerable immediate success? Yeah, no, I think, you know, if there's anything, it was just the volume of, of containers coming, volume of bags and containers coming back to our depots. Kind of a good problem to have, right? right. Like if you're going to have a problem that you're getting too much of this material back is a good problem to have. And it was challenging just because over the summer, it tends to be our busiest time of the year. And so having all these extra express bags during the busy time created some challenges at certain depots. Uh, but we worked with our depots. We think that's sorted that out. And now as we get into a bit less busy a time in the year, we think it won't be a problem going forward and we'll have enough time to get ready for next summer. So, you know, definitely some problems in terms of just volume. But sure, we think by next summer, we'll be in a good place. Had a year of experience under our belt, and we'll be better prepared to deal with that extra volume. Do typically people redeem after they hit that magic $10 line, or do they let it ride you know, and let it build up for a while? So that's a good question, Sterling. I don't know if I can answer it at this point. And just in because we only really launched the um, Interact feature in March, mm-hmm. and so we're still gathering data. Sure. We had a whole bunch of people who right away redeemed just because they had that they wanted to try it out and get their uh, money via email money transfer. I'm thinking that over time it's probably going to be a mix. They'll be a lot of people will do it you know when it's still small and others that will use it as an opportunity to save up money for a special trip or some sort of special occasion or, or maybe just you know um, save it up to treat the family one night so I think there'll be lots of people who choose that option and we'll see a mix of that going forward I bet you do and I bet you a lot yep. of people just uh, just let it ride because they do it anyway and now they just let, they can allow money to accumulate instead of 15 to 20 dollar little cash bumps when you you drop all that material off now you can actually let it accumulate accumulate for a special occasion or whatever that there may you be. go yeah i tripped ontario uh, but uh, speaking of which i had one myself this summer thank you for opening that door mr Landon. my pleasure uh, and, and i was frankly just appalled uh, as i surveyed friends family and uh, new people i'd never met before in a very casual way about attitudes in that province canada's largest with respect to recycling on a personal level here in bc well i think we get we we pride ourselves alan on being at the tip of the spear when it comes to personal responsibility and recycling those dots are connectable in ontario the attitude not not universal I found the younger the person I spoke to, the more likely they were to be aware of recycling uh, strategies and uh, drop-off locations, those sorts of things. But as I spoke to uh, slightly older people, non-millennials, the, 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 the consensus seemed to be, well, geez, why bother when you can just throw it out? How do you change that mindset? Because we've done it in B.C. We've got three times the people back there. But if it was doable in B.C., how do you approach the people of Ontario to get them to at least where we are now? Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if I could change the perspective of people in Ontario. But I think, you know, I think what's important to note is that BC is definitely a leader, for Mm -hmm, sure, mm -hmm. across uh, North America and across Canada, for sure. Um, And not just a leader in terms of consumer participation and high recycling rates, but also the way we manage the material. So, you know, what I get a lot of the time is, you know, what's happening with this material, for example, you know, like plastics. And the the fact is, we may have talked about this last time, is the plastics has been recycled here, not just this year, last year, but for the last 25 years. We did talk about this last time. We'll talk more about it, too, today. Yeah, and I think it's an important component of what we're doing and what we're recycling. Um, You know, why isn't every 
every other province uh, in a similar vein, you know, have an advanced system like BC? That's probably a good question. I think there's probably some, you know, cultural issues. You know, I think probably living on the West Coast, be it in BC or anywhere down up and down the West Coast, um, people take uh, issues like the environment and particularly our marine environment seriously and, mm-hmm. and devote more attention to it. Right. Um, but, you know, I think as, you know, more and more um, information becomes available about the BC model and how we're doing things here, I can't see why it wouldn't be taken other jurisdictions. Certainly Alberta and Saskatchewan also have uh, really robust deposit systems and they're doing quite a job, good job of recovering uh, their containers. Uh, but certainly there's, there's room to expand this program, not just in Canada, but in North America and, and other parts of the world. And frankly, I think one of the strongest ways to engage the public in terms of, well, here's what can happen when you recycle is the express program. You can, yep. you can allow, you can recycle on a semi-regular basis, not see a penny of it until you want, and then you get a few hundred dollars of essentially free money, even though it's yours because you paid the deposit in the first place. And given that you did pay the deposit, why on earth wouldn't you want it back? Well, and that's exactly it. And, and have those, you know, those consumers been foregoing that deposit up until now? Right? That's what we're concerned about is if people have paid the deposit, it's our responsibility to make sure that we've got a system that's uh, quick, efficient, and accessible, and they've got a way to get their money back. Mm-hmm. And we really think that Express and kind of the next steps in the Express program are really filling that gap. So it's great that there are other consumers who are dedicated and want to be there and want to get their money right away, and we want to continue to support those consumers. But we're conscious there's a whole cohort of consumers. They really need something more convenient, and they do want to get their money back. Sure. And up until now, they've foregone that money, and, and that's you know our responsibility system. We've got to come up with a creative way to make sure they can get that money back. And look at all of these marketing programs on US TV with Rakuten and all of these other sponsors basically saying, free money! Yeah, just, yeah. just jump on the bus, for crying out loud. Uh, Alan, uh, one of the others, you had a busy summer since we last talked. You've Absolutely. been a busy fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah for and sure. And one of the other things you did was participate in something called the Global Goods Forum Summit, which was held, it's an international gathering, it was held here in Vancouver, and we're just talking about changing attitudes of consumers, well, you were talking to manufacturers, and their attitudes also need some uh, adjustment with respect to recycling, and particularly with regards to the circular economy, which we'll address in a few minutes. So tell us about the Global Goods uh, Forum here in Vancouver, and what your role in it was. Yeah, so the Consumer Goods Forum is a a group of international uh, consumer goods companies and retailers, top 100 uh, consumer goods companies and retailers across the globe. Uh, They'll meet once a year in in a in a global uh, plenary meeting like they did here in Vancouver, as well as some other side meetings. And we really had a chance to partake in one stream of discussion around uh, global recycling and what it's going to take to improve the nature of global recycling. And I thought it was an interesting and really fascinating panel to be involved in. Mm -hmm. In addition to us, there was also uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is a leading global nonprofit focused on the circular economy. Um, One of the big plastic patching manufacturers, Amcor, as well as Mars, which is one of the big confectionery um, candy makers. Absolutely. you know, really the, the discussion around the Pilot One talked about all the challenges and the need for more consistency in recycling around the globe. And then in some particular parts, talked specifically about the BC model, where we have developed this much more consistent approach to recycling, uh, much more consistent consumer buy-in, and much more consistent consumer participation. And really the discussion was how can we take models, be it BC or other jurisdictions that want to be used as models, and apply those to different parts of the world. And I think everyone's conscious that the huge epicenter of real, the real need of where we need to, to tackle this issue issue is in Asia. And yeah. So a lot of the conversation focused on what's working, so places like BC, but then what's going to be needed to work in places like Asia, because part of the challenge in Asia is you're not dealing with um, you know recycling systems that aren't um, 
you know, appropriate or working. In a lot of these countries, they don't even have basic waste management systems. True. Or in big parts of the countries, they don't have basic waste management systems. And so this material, when it's used, is not, you know, thrown in the garbage. It's thrown in the nearest dry riverbed mm. or, you know, um, river itself. And so, you know, it's really rethinking an approach and how can we take these, you know, what we've learned here and apply it to these different jurisdictions. And that is not going to be easy. Uh, but certainly taking part in groups like we do with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, their new plastics economy, I think taking part in those conversations, being involved in those conversations, and learning how we can share knowledge with people around the world and eventually you know, help contribute to a solution to places like Asia is a big part of what we want to do in the future. Certainly we'll always be focused on ensuring that the recycling systems in BC are the best in class yeah. and are always improving. But you know, as, as we get that, how can we take it to the next level and export that knowledge to other parts of the world? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in BC versus... Oh, but first, yeah. now this, this is a fact that comes up on TV on like an infomercial uh, frequently. Uh, the claim is made that 50%, roughly 50% of the world's plastics comes from five countries in Asia. Is that an urban myth, Alan, or is it pretty close to the truth? No, that's a that's actually a report from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and found 80% of the problem is really centered on five countries in Asia. There's no doubt about it. And probably out of those five countries, China is probably the biggest contributor to the issue of ocean and marine uh, litter. Okay. Um, there was a, it was a landmark study. It was done in 2014, 2015. And I think part of it was trying to get at the, the nub of, okay, what is the problem? Where is the problem? What's the extent of the problem? And so through that, there's certainly other areas like Africa and South America that are also contributing. And certainly North America does at some level. Uh, but definitely the largest component of the problem is really in Asia. And it goes back to some of the challenges we talked about, the lack of you know, formal waste management systems, the right. lack of any recycling. And so I think a lot of the energy you're going to see um, addressing the issue of global plastics over the next few years is really going to be focused in on the, on the Asian continent and coming, and coming up with solutions to how to get at this issue and increase the, the um, recycling and capture of plastics at the same time as, as countries try and grapple with getting waste management systems in place. Alan, one senses an immediate reluctance to participate on the part of China, and that's, that's a whole other story. But of the other four countries, are you aware of any appetite whatsoever for consideration of ecological realities and recycling and, and the need to clean up their part of the world? Yeah, I think, you know, I actually would include China in this as well. I think they're all, they all recognize the issues. I think the challenge is to scale of the problem. Sure. And the amount of resources required to, to actually address it. So I think there's a lot of consumer goods companies conscious that their brands are attached to these products sure. and these materials that are ending up in the ocean and waste streams and really actively working at trying to collaborate with various governments and both local and national on how they can, you know, at least get solutions on a pilot basis moving forward. But, you know, the challenge is huge. Uh, just given the populations and the amount of material in, in question, uh, it's going to take more than a few years to really get to the nub of it and try and come up with long-term sustainable solutions. Now, at the Global Forum that you were a panelist in this summer, again, discussing these with manufacturers of products that involve, in many cases, plastics, what were some of them saying about the remedies they're coming up with? I think what they're trying to struggle with is how do they come up with solutions that are applicable on a global basis? Uh, so it's great that you know they can develop recyclable packaging for the BC market, but how do you do it for a global market? That's one of their biggest challenges. Okay, and it's, a, it's, it's an enormous challenge. Too. Absolutely. Our guest here on Vancouver Consumer this afternoon is the president and CEO of Return It. Alan Langdon is with us, and we'll be back with lots more after the news. 
Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In studio with me is the president and CEO of Return It. A pleasure to have Alan Langdon back with us after what has turned out to be quite a busy summer for our guest. He's been a panelist in a, in a global conference. He's introduced a new recycling program to British Columbia. And he's still uh, talking about uh, the Waste Reduction Week, which, Alan, comes up in just a very few days, October 21st to 27th. It's the 18th annual Waste Reduction Week, which starts on the third Monday in October every year. It is Waste Reduction Week, not only here in British Columbia, but right across Canada. What's the thrust here in BC this year? Yeah, so for Waste Reduction, we've been a big supporter of Waste Reduction Week for a number of years. And it's really about, you know, getting that message out about eliminating waste. You know, from our perspective, we think that we're doing our part in terms of annually diverting about a billion beverage containers uh, away from landfills and, and ocean waste. And we're always looking at growing that number. And certainly, you know, when we look at um, things like, you know, our Return Express program, it's about growing that pie, getting more consumers involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, consistent with this year's waste reduction themes, you know, we're really focused on the principles of circular economy. How can we use our resources more efficiently and how can we continue to eliminate and reduce the waste in our lives? Okay. Well, let's uh, now because each of the seven days, of Waste Reduction Week comes with a theme attached. And I'm really glad you mentioned the circular economy for about the fifth time in this conversation, (laughs) Alan, because the theme for day one of Waste Reduction Week just happens to be the circular economy. So will you please explain to CKNW listeners what on earth the circular economy is? Yeah, it can be a difficult concept to, to get a hold, but essentially in a circular economy, we're trying to move away from a linear economy where we simply make, take, use, and then dispose and actually move to a circular economy where you take that material that's being used and and recycle it or reuse it and reincorporate it into new material. And from our perspective and the work we're doing, it's really about how can we work together to put systems in place that actually increase the value of this material that other people call waste but we see as a resource. So Mm -hmm. if we take, for example, plastics, um, you know, probably globally that about 14% of plastics are actually recycled. Part of the challenge with plastics... That's disturbing, isn't it? It's a ch- yeah, 14% for sure. of all the plastics every year, is uh, that's the only amount recycled. Absolutely. That's On crazy. a global basis, it's crazy. I agree. Yeah. The challenge is how can we increase the value of that material to make it easier for, for people to become involved in collecting and reclaiming that material and having it reused. Sure. And so part of it is working with brand owners and, and other parts of the supply chain to incorporate more of that material as recycled content. If we can do that, it increases the circularity of those materials. So, for example, like plastic bottles, and it creates value all the way through the supply chain in, in realizing a benefit to collecting that material, processing that material, reclaiming that material, and eventually having it returned into recycled content. Well, creating value is kind of key to changing people's minds in terms, in terms of, of thinking of the way they do business. They do business to make a profit Absolutely. or at least to advance their case personally. So it has to be shown. It has to be demonstrably valuable to reset your mind to the circular economy. Yeah, and so we've been working with groups like the New Plastics Economy and Outgrowth of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to work with all components of the supply chain to work look at creating value in this material so it can be reincorporated into new material. But you're right. The only way we're going to have sustainable economies around reclaiming this material if there's more value. The only way to get more value is to convince all the people who are using it to use more recycled content in their products and packaging mm-hmm. so that there's more reason to collect that material, reclaim that material, and make it available to companies to reintroduce it as recycled content. 
content. Okay. So uh, how long has this circular economy been sort of brewing on the back burner? Yeah. And how long from here do you imagine it to be, Alan, before more and more of us are leaning in that direction? Yeah, so I think the real thinking around the circular economy has probably taken place over the last seven, eight years. Uh, really is an outgrowth of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Ellen MacArthur sailed the ocean, uh, learned a lot through that experience and came back and realized that there needed to be a change in the way that uh, materials in the economy was managed. Um, in terms of what's been going on in BC, I think we've actually been in a circular economy for quite some time. So if I take, for example, return it, all the material, if I take our plastic material, that plastics has been recycled here in the province or in Alberta for the last 25 years. We've mm-hmm. been doing it basically since we started. And all that material is made available to companies so they can reintroduce it as recycled content. So I think we've been true to that principle from the beginning. It wasn't called circular economy. So I was just going to say, so unbeknownst to millions of British Columbians, we are actually already in a circular economy. At least for beverage containers. And okay. now the challenge is how do we take somewhere. that? Exactly. How do we take that and move it into other parts of the economy? For sure. Okay. Now, theme for day two is textiles. So talk to us about textiles in, in the context now of the circular economy, particularly, because that's, if that's day one's theme, clearly all of the other theme days will follow behind it with referencing that uh, as a beginning point. Yeah, so textiles is now something Return It's gotten into just this year. So we launched a pilot uh, back in March. Uh, opened up 13 locations to accept textiles. It's been a really positive uh, response with consumers. And so we've expanded that now to 38 locations and growing. And just in the six or seven months the program's been up and running, we've actually diverted 20 metric tons of material away from landfill. Can you define textiles for our listeners? Yeah, again? absolutely. I don't, think, I don't think even people know that sure. they can go to a return at depot and drop off. Are we talking about old clothes? Al? Yeah, we're talking about old clothes, old um, household textiles, so sheets, towels, that kind of thing, okay. as well as footwear. All of it, as long as it's been cleaned, can be brought down to our depots, uh, to 38 participating depots, and we'll collect that. And then most of that material is is resold into um, uh, secondhand stores across the Lower Mainland, across BC. And then there'll be some component that's not reusable um, or resellable, and that will be cut up into rags and used as uh, oil absorbent or uh, absorbent for some sort of uh, hazardous waste. So we think it's a good option, and it's it's about increasing the convenience for consumers who, when they're taking down their beverage containers, electronics can also bring their textiles. Oh, okay. So, and again, this is again starting people to think about something because there's a rather astonishing numbers out there about the amount of tons of clothes per person per year that end up in landfills. And we think nothing of wearing out a, an old shirt or a pair of jeans or whatever and tossing it in the garbage. You're suggesting there may be another option. Yeah, and we're happy with 20 metric tons, but we're also conscious that probably 5% of all the waste in Metro Vancouver was textiles. So we're talking about tens of thousands of tons of textiles still going to landfills. So we're doing our part, but there's still you know absolutely more to do. Right, but in terms of establishing something in the minds of people that, that perhaps hadn't hitherto contacted contemplated, you got to start somewhere, and, and, and 10 metric tons is better than nothing, right? 20. Oh, 20. Well, yeah. All right. The theme for day three of Waste Reduction Week is champions and innovators. I assume you're going to celebrate people who are leaders in the circular economy. Yeah, so I think in terms of, you know, when we talk about innovation, I think probably the thing we have coming up this year uh, that's most innovative is we've, you know, at Addition Express, which has been a great success, success, we've been looking at ways to expand that model to areas that are either um, maybe seen as too remote or maybe um, 
have other challenges in terms of providing accessible reach through our traditional depot network. So we've established these express and go stations, which are really uh, reformatted uh, sea containers. Uh, we've attached doors to them. They're powered by solar panels. Uh, we're opening our first one in Tofino. Well, will be open. We're actually, we've opened it October 15th. So okay, all right. that's open. And, and really the idea is to provide another level of access for communities, be them in dense urban areas or more remote places like Tofino, to access recycling services. Uh, they're unmanned, but they follow the same principles as our express program. People bring their containers and bags with labels on them. They'll have a pin code. They open the door. They'll drop the bag in. And then those containers will be counted later. And then the money uploaded or the refunds uploaded to their online account. So we think it's a great way to extend the reach of the program and do it in a way that can meet some of the needs of these these other communities that up till now have not access to our services. And I'm assuming with a small community like Tofino, there's a fair bit of enthusiasm in that crowd over there for being able to finally jump in and, and participate. Absolutely. They unfortunately had a depot a few years ago, but just because of the changing uh, tides of Tofino, there just wasn't enough of a population and combined with you know, uh, higher land costs. It just didn't make sense to have a full-time depot. So right. I think this is a nice option uh, for both the community as well as for our network in terms of being able to provide that level of access. Okay, so back to uh, Waste Reduction Week. On day four, the theme will be plastics. Now, you and I have talked about plastics in this conversation already. Yep, Frankly, absolutely. I don't think you can talk about it enough. Uh, it, it's it's something that we in Canada have recognized as a significant issue and, and are doing our best in uh, at both the national and local level to to address but uh, as we've already pointed out there are, are parts of the world where it is more common than in than in, here in North America that really it's uh, it's it's they're not really dealing with it in any significant way yet so again the more they can be pushed in that direction uh, the better yeah, and I think from our perspective for plastics, really what we're focused on is is collecting and reclaiming more of that plastic each year. Uh, there's growing opportunities to have that plastic incorporated into new plastic bottles. A number of our large brand owners have set some pretty aggressive targets for expanding the amount of recycled content in their, uh, in their products and in their packaging. And so we want to play our part in making sure that we're reclaiming as much of that material. And without a doubt, our material is probably the highest quality material in North America reclaiming as much of that material as possible so we can make it available to our uh, brand owners and, and the companies that support the program and making sure they can include the greatest amount of recycled content possible in their new in their new bottles. And it also, given that steady stream of supply, Alan, it also gets their R&D departments uh, a little more secure in being able to, 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 to go after new designs, new products, new applications for plastic recycling. What could, well, since we're able to do this now, imagine uh, five years, years from now how we could expand so uh, with that kind of steady supply it does open a few doors doesn't it yeah and i well i think you know honestly sterling i think more than r&d i think we're at the stage now in the in the continuum where people are just looking at how can we um as quickly as possible expand the amount of material available to us so we can i think the technology is in place now Mm -hmm. it's really just about how can we get enough raw materials to satisfy the need and the requirements to increase our recycled content so i think it's an exciting time for recycling and that there's pressure not just from consumers and from governments but even brand owners now and how can we improve these systems how can we get more material how can we increase the amount of material recycled material that we're including in our new packaging Mm -hmm. after plastics theme days alan include food waste Swap, shop, and repair. And then day seven is something called e-waste. So what on earth is e-waste? 
Yeah, so e-waste is really, you know, uh, it's part of the electronics recycling program we've been running for over the last 10 years. Oh, okay. When we talk about e-waste, we're really talking about TVs, computers. Oh, just take your old stuff to the depot. Absolutely. And so most of our depots have been part of this program for the last 10 years. Yes. And it's certainly components. So when you're bringing down your beverage containers, you can bring down your old computer, your old printer. Um, pretty much any type of electronic, like game consoles would be another one. Uh, so for people who are unsure about what they should be bringing down or what's accepted in the program, we've got a pretty fulsome and complete list on our website at returnit.ca under the electronics tab. Okay. So I'd encourage people to go there, look at the electronics program, see what uh, they can bring down, and also look at what's the closest depot. So while a lot of Returnit depots are part of the program, we also have other agencies like Salvation Army as well as some local government municipal depots also partake in the program. So uh, there may be options for them just beyond the return it network, the depots, to go and bring their electronics back and have it recycled. And probably also to remember that your electronics would not be put in the same bag as your other recycling materials. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a dedicated area for that and people can bring it in and then just drop it off. There's no charge to drop it off, which I think is important as well. And uh, we'll make sure that that material is respons- recycled responsibly. Right. And just before we talk about the future of Return It, I want to talk about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Very briefly, tell us a little bit more about this organization, how long they've been around, and what's the connection to BC? Yeah, so um, we've so the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's been around about seven or eight years. Again, focused on global um, changing the global economy to more of a circular model. Right. We've been involved with them for the past eighteen months, and really in terms of t- taking part in their global commitment. So their global commitment is around getting organizations from across the globe, be it governmental, um, consumer goods, retailers, um, recyclers, and other groups, to make strong, uh, dedicated commitments to addressing the issue of ocean pollution and. Plastic plastic waste. So we're one of now over 500 organizations that are part of that. We've committed, for example, to eliminating uh, plastic film from our supply chain by 2025 and taken some steps already to do that. So now we're talking about the future of Return It and recycling in BC, and it just happens to parallel perfectly with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Yeah, so in terms of, you know, what we see as the future, we really want to be continue to be a leader. We want to involve and redefine recycling experience for our consumers. Uh, we always want people in BC to recycle and do the right thing. And to do that, we need to have an experience that meets their expectations. And certainly when we talk about Express and Express and Go, that's really what you, you know, you're seeing. And I think you can expect to see us implement more uh, these types of innovations as we go forward. We're conscious that there's a growing public interest and appetite in coming up with better environmental solutions to you know, the things that we use and, and take part in on a day-to-day basis. And given all the experience and knowledge we've accumulated over the last 25 years, I think it's really incumbent upon us and making sure that we can take part in that and help consumers along on that journey. Interesting stuff. Alan, almost out of time. Return It is a leader in Canada. Uh, Some of the good work you and your team are doing is remarkable. Uh, Don't for a single second take your foot off the gas pedal, okay? Okay, I appreciate that, Sterling, and thanks again for the time. We always appreciate Uh, it. It's good to see you. It's good to have you back, and uh, don't be too, too shy and pay us a return visit again soon. Sounds good. There's Alan Langdon, and we're back after this. Once again, our thanks to Alan Langdon, President and CEO of Return It, for another very informative visit. Waste Reduction Week across Canada begins on Monday. In our next hour, John Carlson will join us with an update on Metro Vancouver real estate. Time now for Dooley Noted, and this time, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at Richmond's ban on vaping ads. Thanks, Sterling. As the province comes to terms with the news of at least one probable vaping-related illness... Richmond has become the first B.C. city to take matters into its own hands. 
City Council unanimously agreed Tuesday to ban advertisements of vaping products in all public spaces, including transit shelters and street furniture, in order to help curb use among young people specifically. Here's Mayor Malcolm Brody. We don't want there to be advertising. We don't want there to be a presence of, of vaping. We, we don't want it suggested that the city is anyway condoning this, and we'll stop it if we can. Advertisements for vaping are technically allowed under Health Canada laws as long as they convey health risks. TransLink has so far refused to take down ads in SkyTrain stations amid public outcry, citing free speech legislation. Other city councils have considered similar crackdowns on vaping, including restricting vape shops, which a Surrey councillor introduced earlier this year. The B.C. government has promised additional rules around vaping, especially linked to access to young people, but has not provided any details yet. Brody says he's helpful the province's plans are released sooner than later, rather than waiting for Ottawa to dictate how to move forward. But the province is in a good position to take some effective steps, and I would look to them to do that. But in the meantime, as a city, let's do what we can. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Health Minister Adrian Dix, by the way, has said the provincial policy on vaping is due within the next couple of weeks. Here's a story for you. Ancestry, the DNA testing company best known for helping people discover their roots, has big ambitions. On Tuesday, the firm has that has so far collected spit from more than 15 million amateur genealogists unveiled its long-awaited plans to expand beyond family tree building and and into genetic screening for potential health problems. The new division, to be called Ancestry Health, launched this week with two new offerings. The first is a one-time test for nine hereditary conditions, including breast and colon cancer, heart disease, and blood disorders. It's based on the same DNA chip the company uses to estimate where your ancestors lived, and it will be immediately available to anyone for 149 bucks or 49 for existing ancestors. Ancestry DNA customers, and I assume those are American dollar numbers. A subscription service based on more advanced sequencing technology, which provides quarterly updates on a wider set of health concerns, will roll out next year at a cost of 199 bucks plus 49 for every six months of updates. Both services will also include a tool for tracking family health history to make it easier to share with physicians. Unlike its biggest competitor, 23andMe, Ancestry has not had these new tests approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for sale directly to customers. Instead, the company is partnering with a network of physicians who will order the tests on behalf of customers, a model used by other health-centric DNA tasting uh, startups, of which there are several. That was testing, not tasting. Ancestry's latest moves shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Company executives have been hinting at a health play as far back as 2014, and consumers have been speculating for years about how long it was going to take them. Well, away they go. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.